Hi, this is Mike Metcalf. I just wanted in this episode to make the connection between systems thinking and sense making. I think they're very closely connected, but I just need to explain how and why. Sense making provides an explanation of how we think. It asks, how do we make sense of the world? What theories, interpretations, perspectives, worldviews, conceptions, or schools of thought do we use to interpret what we see in front of us, what our senses pick up? This is not in any way in conflict with the physical understanding of the universe. Physical objects exist, like a tree, but the way we interpret them varies. I could see a tree as a source of timber, or a source of oxygen, or as an example of a species. I can interpret it differently. In physics, they use several different concepts to interpret the cosmos. They use relativity, string theory, quantum mechanics. It used to be Newtonian mechanics. These are schools of thought or concepts that they're using to see the world. And each one highlights different aspects of whatever is being thought about. A sad and yet wonderful example is provided by Carl Weich in his discussions about the Man Gulch disaster, which was a fire where 13 firemen died in 1949, partly because their interpretation of a fire front was that you ran away from it, which was a very difficult thing to do. But one of the firemen changed the concept he was using to understand the fire and lit the ground he was standing on, and that meant that a fire went out from him and removed the fuel available for a fire. And he was the only guy to survive. So here we have an example of sense-making in action where by changing the concept in use to think about the problem, the farmer was able to save his life. So the sense-making approach would ask, what concepts are you using to interpret this situation? For example, what concepts are you using to decide what is a good thing to do in your life? So you might say, I use the concepts of good family life, interesting life, financially secure, helpful to others, in order to decide what I should and shouldn't do when various events come over the horizon and make me make a decision. I need some background concepts that uh, help me make that decision. Organisations do something similar. They will say, we want this organisation to be more innovative, more global, more customer-focused, more financially secure. And then these become the criteria for decision-making. A lot of people will be aware of the similar sort of thing when they go for jobs, that there's a list of selection criteria. We want somebody who's got this and got this and got this. And we're going to use these concepts to reflect on which is the best applicant. These concepts enable us to think about specific aspects of a problem, to evaluate our actions, and to guide future decisions. Now, 
It is assumed that if one can explicitly say, I'm going to use consequences to think about this problem, or I'm going to use observation to think about this problem, that you have most likely through your childhood and education developed a set of default concepts to think about problems. Your individual concerns might provide these concepts. You might say your family argued a lot about money. You might find that you do do worry about money issues when making decisions. So your concerns provide the default concepts for thinking about the world. It would be interesting, wouldn't it, to be able to emerge the concepts in use by somebody or from some text as an analysis. So we could read a text or listen to a speech and say this person is drawing on these particular concepts when they are interpreting the world. And do note that there's more than one. Anything from three to five might well seem to be a norm. And if you remember the magic number seven, which was downgraded a bit to number five, plus or minus two, I suspect that's typical of the human cognition, that we use something between three and five concepts to interpret the world at any one time. There is a method called idea networking, which uses cluster analysis to take narrative and try and emerge out of it the underlying or core concepts in use when that narrative was delivered. When this is done with religious text, the, the concepts of compassion, obeying, death and saving souls tends to emerge. Whereas when scientific correspondence is analysed, concepts like truth, light, seeing and evidence tend to be underlying the the conversation. John Dewey and later I think Stephen Toulman argue that we do use concepts to think about the world. We reflect off concepts to think. So I can think about poverty using the concepts of compassion, responsibility, luck or hierarchy and each will make me think of slightly different things. So sense-making is the process of trying to make explicit the underlying concepts that people are drawing on in their thinking and therefore in their talking. This, of course, assumes that this is how we think. It is a theory of thinking. These sets of concepts provide a system for thinking, a system of interconnected concepts that help us interpret the world, to help us problem-solve. Remember that concepts are defined by, by the pragmatist, who set off a lot of modern systems thinking, as patterns of activities, as doing things, as function, described by their functionality. Systems thinking is very similar. So if nothing else, we can talk about the concepts providing a system for thinking. However, sense-making, or just focusing on what are the concepts in use, what concepts or system of concepts should we be thinking with, might be more operational than 
talk about systems thinking. So use the example I've used often before of I have the problem that my hen crows early in the morning as it, and is annoying my neighbours. How can I use systems thinking to solve this problem? Systems thinking would say, well, think of adjacent systems or describe the system that you have. So you could say, well, I have a system in the sense that I have a hen which has eyes, ears, nose, guts, eats things, poos, lays eggs. That's one system. There is a, a wider system as a small holding farmers, um, uh, hobby farmers who have a system of you know, hens and vegetables and and whatever that they take a little bit to market and supplement a lifestyle with. Now, if I'm using the approach of sense-making, I would say I can think about my problem about hens in using the concept of, you know, the biology of a hen or the concept of hobby farms or maybe the concept of a legal system or the concept of agriculture or being neighbourly. So I've simply changed the word system into the word concept to some extent, both being patterns of, of activity that focus on the interconnectivity. So if we focus on... Neil Ferguson's six killer apps or concepts, the concepts he used to explain why some countries are prosperous and some aren't, we could say that they're concepts, so they included competitiveness, religion or medicine, consumerism, etc. So then we could say he made sense of why some countries are rich and some countries are poor, using these concepts. If we were being more elaborate, we could say he's arguing that unless these six systems are in place, or these are the systems you need to focus on if you want to be wealthy, but they're, they're not in place and working properly, then you won't be prosperous. It's very much the same sort of thing. It just might be easier in language to, to talk about concepts rather than systems. But it is important, I think, in the back of your mind to, to be saying, well, if I'm going to use a concept like uh, medicine, it's really, it's a system. It's like saying science is a system. It's a scientific method. It's a process. It's a doing thing. So it really calling it a concept science is a shorthand for a very elaborate scientific process, medical research process. Where these concepts or systems names come from, and I do note that Carl Weick, who, who started a lot of the literature on sense-making, used the word labels, but I think there's labels for systems. Anyway, where do these concepts come from? When Neil Ferguson did his, he merged them out of his study of history. If you use something like narrative analysis and idea networking, you can emerge them out of the conversations of people, out of their language. But of course you can also 
impose them explicitly. So when Neil Ferguson emerged his out of the study of history, we can now say, well, let's use his six concepts to study something else. And in that case, we were a bit more deductive rather than inductive. In management theory, there's a very classic set of concepts called pest analysis, another one called SWOT analysis, which says that you should use this set of concepts. So the pest analysis, or P-E-S-T, says you should analyse your situation in terms of the political, the economic, the social, the technological. People have added to that environmental and religious concepts. And this is a way of understanding you know, your context or your problem or your organisation. So under political, one assumes you should look both internally and externally at the political situation. So, for example, even the coal industry, the political situation would include a sort of growing political dislike for the coal industry. Economic, an obvious thing, I think. The social is about tastes and trends and population and that sort of thing. And the technological is about the rise of technology, using the word very, very generally to include everything man-made. Remembering that these concepts are systems, we're saying you should have an appropriate political system in place for your organisation. You should be looking at the political system that your organisation operates within. You should be looking at the economic system that your organisation works within, or what is its own economic situation or system, which include things like business models. And the social system, what is the social system? What affects trends? What makes people change tastes and values? And technological, what is the technological system? How does it change and improve and focus on particular areas for invention? Again, I'm mentioning this just to say that pragmatic concepts really you've got to be able to switch them into systems, doing things with inputs, outputs, and they transform something. They are a process with purpose. I think the PEST system of concepts came from the work of Foucault when he studied mental hospitals and prisons. He just found it useful to analyse them with those four dimensions, using those four concepts. I mentioned earlier SWOT analysis, something that every MBA student seems to have to suffer through. It's a suggestion that when you're trying to think about the context or the environment for your organisation, you ask yourself internally in your organisation, what are your strengths and weaknesses, SW, and externally, what are the opportunities and threats? I'm unclear about the origins of this, Again, any sort of handful of concepts provides a useful way to assist with thinking. Remembering we're contrasting a sort of brainstorming where you say to people, come up with ideas. There's a long history saying that brainstorming doesn't work, but if you give people explicit concepts to think off, what are our strengths, what are our weaknesses, they are able to do a lot more creative thinking. Indeed, this sort of focus thinking approach 
um, seems to so far exceed or, or be better than the brainstorming approach. So coming up with the concepts you're going to use seems very crucial. So back to the SWOT analysis. So when you say, what are the strengths in our organization? Again, I, I'm saying here, you've got to think of that as a system. If you say, well, we're very good at customer service, or we're very good at innovation, or we're very international, or then you sort of say, well, that's a system. It's a process. It's got inputs and outputs. So if you say we're very good at customer service, then you say, well, what are the inputs to that system? What are the elements of that system? What are the outputs that work and don't work? What gets transformed? What's excluded from that system? So rather than thinking of it as a thing, we're thinking of it as a process or a system. And the same is true for weaknesses. Also, if you're looking externally and saying, what are the opportunities out there? You should be asking yourself, what's generating those opportunities? Where are they coming from? If you think that technology is an opportunity, or you think that globalization is an opportunity, you should really be thinking to yourself, how do I figure out the system? Can I exploit the system? Can I make more of it, less of it? So I want to understand threats and opportunities as a system. They, they come from somewhere. They're generated somehow. I think threats is a particularly useful one to human beings, and I'd like to think of it more as what's likely to come over the horizon. Another system of concepts, another set of concepts that people have used to analyze the situation is sometimes called TOP, Harold Instone has written a lot about this, and I think he got a lot of it from Allison's work on the Bay of Pigs fiasco, when some American-backed Cubans tried to invade Cuba unsuccessfully. And what Allison did was go through all the critiques or reports about what went wrong, and found they fell into three general categories, almost by discipline, of course, there was what you might call the technical, which was the mathematical, quantitative, operational research sort of analysis. Then there was the, what he called the organizational, the sociological, that is, whether the organization was well organized, uh, the sort of thing you'd expect a sociologist to, to look at. And the last one was the psychology, to look at individual characters and say, what was their personality traits? Um, what do they do right and wrong and what you know have they got good leadership qualities and that sort of thing this was also used with the challenger spacecraft disaster where it blew up on takeoff the analysis the extensive analysis done came back saying that there were some technical problems some organizational problems and there were some personality problems harold lindstone extended that a little bit to say there's also a perspective between these three. There's a tension between these three. So we all know the individual versus the organization, person versus society tension. So that's the tension between the O and the P in TOP. And that gives you a perspective, doesn't it? There's a new perspective there about the, the tensions between individuals and organizations. I mean, it's a bit like uh, if you've got somebody in a community who's misbehaving, the community's crossed with them. There's a tension there between their personal freedom and what the community or organization wants. 
And then there's a tension between the personal and the technological. Your, your, your and my struggle with technology to learn it, to master it. And again, a tension between organizations and technology. I think the disruptive nature of modern technology is causing a tension between classic organizational structures and the technology. So you've got yourself another three perspectives there. So three turns into six. You can add more, of course, but I often think, as I keep saying, that a handful is most likely enough. Although there's an endless supply of these sets of concepts, system of concepts, that you can apply to any problem situation, uh, the TOP one is sort of interesting because it's a little bit more about the method of analysis. Again, the technical as a system is a bit like the scientific method. There is a a way of going about it. And the sociological, there's a way of going about organizational studies typically, which often involves questionnaires and surveys and model building. And then same with psychology. There's a a way of going about analyzing the psychological situation or the personality of people. There's a it's a point of view that emphasizes the method of analysis or the system analysis. Another one that I thought was quite interesting was that of uh, Matthew McKinley talking about technological success. Why is it some good ideas turn into multi-million dollar projects or earners and others fall flat on their face? He did a historical analysis, particularly of the iPod. And we've got to remember the iPhone was really value-adding to the iPod. And he concludes the reason the iPod was such a a wonderful commercial success as an innovation was that those involved, one, had a recombination worldview. They understood invention and technology to be value-adding things, to combine things, to add things together. They see anything in the world as being a combination of things. So if someone says, be creative, be inventive, the response is to think, well, what can I add? What two things can I add? How can I improve something? Rather than these are ideas that come from contemplation or something. The other thing was that innovation comes from those with expertise. The people involved in the iPod and then later the iPhone were all, there's a community of people with very high technological skills. To sort of suddenly invent something in a in an area you have no technical expertise is most likely difficult. So again, if you want innovation, you should say, well, what are my knowledge strengths? What are my skills? I need to invent something within my knowledge set. Otherwise, you're relying on other people and you sort of lose control of it. The third one that uh, McKinley mentions is called regional volume, is that you need a lot of people working on something similar. It's a sort of critical mass argument. It's been used even with science, saying the reason science has progressed so much is because once they introduced government schools, um, there are a lot more scientists out there. The government spends a lot of money on science, a lot of scientists, therefore science gets done. Again, a critical mass sort of requirement. The more people work on it, the more likely an innovation will occur. The idea of the lone scholar is, is a bit of a mistake. It was a sort of bit of a myth that I think maybe some of the English historians of science wanted to bring up. They, they wanted to show people like uh, Newton as, as working alone in their room. But because Newton was a very well-networked people, he had a lot of correspondence going with 
people all over the world. And the same with people like Darwin, that you really got to understand scientific inventions in terms of the networks. Again, I think Neil Ferguson has picked up on this recently, pointing out how famous people are usually very well networked. Another one of uh, McKinley's concepts is that there is a focused attempt for the research in the way that the Americans put a lot of effort into the atomic bomb, massive amounts of money and effort and time spent. It was a very focused project, and the same with getting to the moon. Less successful, possibly, with cancer research. His argument is that not only should you have a critical mass of people, but they should be sort of focused on something. And what happened in Silicon Valley is they tend to be focused on gadgets for the commercial market. Not completely, but they're, they're making things that they hope that everybody will pick up, or a lot of people will pick up. And I think that's Apple's sort of point, really, is they were meant to be going from computers being something that large organizations do and scientific institutions to something that an intelligent individual can have at home or in their pocket. And the other one is failure analysis, the last one of McKinley's, saying that there should, of course, be a lot of learning and thinking about failures. What went wrong? What would you do differently last time? Rather than a sort of cloud of silence come over any mistake people made, that really there should be extensive post-mortems and discussions about what worked and didn't work. And again, this, these, each of these five things from McKinley need to be thought of as systems. Even the fact, you know, you need a critical mass of people, thinking, well, what's the system that generates this critical mass of people? Okay, so I've really tried to talk about what is sense-making, but there's the overlap between sense-making and systems thinking is extreme, I think. I wonder if sense-making isn't simply a new term for systems thinking, provided it remembers the pragmatic doing, action knowledge origins of systems thinking. That, that is, you have pragmatic sense-making, as I think Carl Weick originally intended it to be. He's being very influenced by the American pragmatists. Although you can go looking and find from analysis a set of concepts that might be useful for you to think about your organization, I still think that organizations should most likely have their own personal little set of concepts. They have a particular history that is it will be important. So when you study the history of a company, you'll find that there were certain success factors. They either concentrated on something. I worked for the Heinz Baked Bean Company for a while, and uh, obviously taste and convenience, standardization, and endless research into new varieties was one of the strengths of the organization. It had particular characteristics that made it successful. And companies need to remember those or be very careful about how they change them. So I think I've argued that system thinking and sense making are very similar. You can sense make with a set of concepts from somebody else or you can emerge your own set of concepts. Just remember that the concepts are a system. If you want to be more innovative, then you need a system for innovation. Last, let me just add a point of interest. I noticed in reading the work of Eva Balan, she talked about these five or so sets of concepts as being a business model. Notice the distinction here is not a revenue model, it's not how cash was earned, but rather 
what was the mindset of the organization? Rather than use the term mindset, use the term business model. So a business model has a handful of concepts in it. We intend to be more innovative, more international, more customer-focused, etc. Again, there's a terminology problem here. Are these concepts, priorities, business models, principles, perspectives, killer apps, or systems? We have lots of words for the same thing, and so I think some of what I'm saying has been discovered lots of different ways, and therefore there's lots of different language for the same thing. I think in some of the decision-making psych literature, the term frames is used. But anyway, enough for now. Thank you very much.